Welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, welcome to Stuff to Blow Your Mind. My name is Robert Lamb. And I'm Julie Douglas. Julie, what do you want to happen to your brain when you die? Oh, God, you know what I would really love? What's that? I would love if someone would pack it away in Tupperware. Okay. And take it on a road trip. But only 40 years after uh, I'm dead and gone. Okay. Yeah. All right. Because why not? I mean, my brain might want to see the Grand Canyon again. Like burpable Tupperware. Like burpable? You know how they would do the, like, I mean, I've just heard that back in the day when they would do like Tupperware parties, Mm -hmm. like one of the whole proofs that you would, uh, um, that you would uh, put the Tupperware through is that Tupperware can be burped. Like something to do with like air escaping the Tupperware where you kind of go, you like it, you make it open the lid like it's a little mouth and it Mm -hmm. goes burp. Somehow that's very fifties. That and tomato aspic and burping Tupperware, very fifties stuff. But there's, I mean, there's a good reason why we're talking about this, right? Because we were talking about, uh, Albert Einstein's brain. None Uh, other. Yeah. And not only all the weird things that happened to it, uh, after, it was done being Einstein, but also about some of the the really interesting stuff that we've learned from it about everyone's brain, not, yeah. not just about his uh, and, you know, what was unique about it, because ultimately it wasn't like super unique. It was a human brain. It's not like they cut open his skull and found like a little crab monster that flew here on a saucer or anything. No, no, but his long, strange journey uh, of his brain actually ended up, or it is uh, contributing to the conversation about what is genius. Right. It really did end up illuminating some aspects of genius for us, which is pretty exciting yeah, stuff. Yeah, c- because he was undoubtedly a genius. The man was brilliant. No doubt. Yeah. Kind of a klutz, but in some respects, but but a genius. Love the ladies, but what are yeah. you going to do? So, Einstein. Uh, so yeah, he... Uh, after after he contributed so much to the world, um, he died, 1955. And uh, he just wanted to be left alone in death, right? So Yeah, supposedly that was his, his big request. It was like, just cremate me, throw my ashes somewhere secret, because uh, I don't want people worshipping my grave. I don't want you know, any he kind of He didn't want to be to deified. Do. Yeah, yeah, don't deify me. I'm just Einstein. Um, let me be. Right. So he's 76. He dies of a, a burst aortic aneurysm. And the autopsy is performed by a guy, uh, a pathologist by the name of Dr. Thomas Harvey. All right. So Harvey mostly kept <laughs> to Einstein's wishes. He, you know, he, he performed his duties. But he, I guess as he's looking down at that table and he's looking at that, that big skull. Right. Of, uh, well, it wasn't even that big. Just that average looking skull of Einstein's. And he was like, you know. It's a shame to let a good brain go to waste. Right. And it's not uncommon to remove the brain during an autopsy, right? Right. right. So, yeah, you can see how it's sitting out there on the table and he just cannot help himself. Yeah. Like, I see him, like, about to put it back in. Mm-hmm. It's in his hand, you know, dripping. And he's like, oh, this is this is an important... I mean, this, this is our argument is that this is scientifically an important brain. This is a, a specimen that needs to be preserved, not turned into ashes and, and hidden away. Right. I should put this in a Tupperware... Um, <laughs> container mm-hmm. and, uh, and, and save it and, ha- and allow it to be studied. For the good of science. For the good of science. Of course, Einstein's family did not agree. No. But, uh, nonetheless, uh, but Harvey, Harvey to took it. it. Yeah, and he stuck to his guns. Um, Even though he got fired for it too, right? Yeah, and there was apparently later outrage when it was revealed that another person, uh, presumably at the same, uh, uh, <laughs> the same location, uh, removed, Princeton, yeah. yeah, removed Einstein's eyeballs as a souvenir. Mm hmm. Which is even creepier and I think a little harder to to justify. Yeah, I think I've seen those pop up on eBay. The the eyeball? I can't no. I was okay. gonna say you can't authenticate it. Yeah. But 
Yeah, you do wonder what happened to those eyeballs. So, yeah, I mean, this this is the beginning of what would be a very strange journey for Einstein's brain, right? Yeah, it's kind of like Weekend at Bernie's, except with just <laughs> this dude and a brain and a Tupperware yeah. driving around the, the, the country uh, at one point and doing stuff like apparently Harvey's former neighbor was, um, uh, a, you know, a famous uh, writer of, uh, you know, like Naked Lunch. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, William and, S. Burroughs. And pretty well known heroin addict, uh, William S. Burroughs. Yeah. 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 And so they went to see William S. Burroughs. So it's like, I'm, I'm picturing him like sitting around like playing a uh, backgammon or something. And it's, uh, it's William S. Burroughs, Harvey, and then this Tupperware with Einstein's brain in it. Yeah. And just to back up a little bit, Thomas Harvey did try to do the right thing in, in his mind, right? And he, uh, for, for years, for something like 40 years, he would send, uh, little samples off to other, Neuroscientists, because mm-hmm. in he, mayonnaise jars, in mayonnaise jars, because yeah. he felt like there was something that could be found, and right. for years nothing was found. In fact, people were like, "You know what? Stop sending me, stop sending me this," because you know what we're discovering here is that Einstein's brain doesn't look unique to us. In fact, it's a little bit smaller than the average brain. Right? Um, they didn't see much that would tell them that, that this, you know, some sort of markers of genius, until he sent off in the mayonnaise jar. Uh, four sections of Einstein's brain, the most that he had ever sent off to a neuro researcher by the name of Marion Diamond. So she requested this, and three years later, because you know he's on it, he's, he's on a road trip. It's going <laughs> to yeah. take him a while. The, the mayonnaise jar arrived, and this was a, a really big moment um, for for science, really. Right. But still, and we'll get to it. Um, you know, it didn't become abundantly clear at first how significant this brain tissue was and what Marion Diamond found was. So again, Einstein was a genius. But what is a genius? What makes genius? Is yeah, it something yeah. you're you're born with a genius brain or do you uh or does it come from like having the right genius uh inspiring uh you know, nursery activity? Yeah, is it acquired or is it inherent? Um, and according to neuro researcher Douglas Fields, genius is kind of a grab bag of genetic and environmental factors. Uh, but then you, you hear from people like Dean Keith Simonton, and he says attributes like your mental energy and your openness to new experiences is genetic. Um, it's something you can cultivate, right? Like the mm-hmm. sense of being open to new experiences. But if, if you're sort of born with this, uh, attribute, then you're a lot more predisposed to go out and explore new ideas and experiences. And we already know that when you do that, you're putting your brain through the paces and you're effectively increasing the white matter in your brain. And it turns out white matter is, is really important stuff. Right. And, uh, to, to, to settle exactly what is white matter and what is gray matter. Because I think we've all heard gray matter is used as sort of a generic term for your brain. Like, yeah. like start using your gray matter there. Exercise your gray matter a little. And, uh, yeah, you never hear yeah. white matter, right? Right. And in fact, white matter, some people have, have made the um, analogy that white matter to scientists has been like dark matter to astrophysicists or cosmologists. Right. And that for so many years, uh, white matter just was completely unknown. We didn't really know what the deal was with white matter. Yeah, we, we know just it's it there, but we, yeah, we don't really know what it is. Is yeah. it just cottage cheese or what? Yeah. No, turns out it is not cottage cheese, yogurt, <laughs> goat cheese. I, I wonder if a zombie would prefer the white or the gray. Or is it like, is it like a uh, white and dark meat in Turkey? Well, it depends. Yeah. It depends. Um, I've never heard this, uh, this, this post before. 
Uh, that's a good question. Let's let's answer that at the end of this podcast. Let's percolate on that. Yes, yeah, so let's let's not steer completely off course. Yeah. Um, another uh, way of thinking about gray matter that I, I ran across was uh, Scientific American had a uh, had this uh, bit where they were comparing it to soil. They said that gray matter is is uh, and this is you know where uh, mental computation takes place, memories are stored. Um, this cortex is the top soil of the brain. Mm-hmm. All right, densely packed neur- neuronal cell bodies, uh, decision making part making parts of the nerve cells or neurons underneath it. You have the bedrock, and this is the white matter, and this mm-hmm. fills nearly half the human brain. And and this is a really important thing that we'll discuss here uh, in a minute, is that this is a far larger percentage than found in the brains of, of other animals. Mm-hmm. Uh, like Humans are really packing the white matter. <laughs> they are packing yeah. the white matter. And, the, yeah, the white matter consists of bundles of long nerve fibers, and they conduct electrical signals between nerve cells, and they connect different parts of the brain together. So it's really important to remember that. Because within the that white matter is something called glial cells, and we'll talk about that. But, uh, again, Einstein's brain contributed to our understanding today, which not, is not even complete, of what white matter is and what glial cells are and why they're really important to genius or just to even intelligent thought. Um I did want to say that uh, Rex Jung, he is, uh, he is, I, I believe that he's a psychologist, and he said that highly creative people usually have less white matter integrity and less brain tissue in the frontal lobes. And huh. this is important to remember because when they looked at Einstein's brain, they saw this correlated in there. And they say this could be um, disinhibiting, uh, causing a down regulation of the decision making judging center of the brain. So we've talked about this before in a, a podcast about creativity is that you kind of have to be able to shut off that part of your brain that is saying no, basically. Yeah, there have been some uh, some situations where the uh, the inhibiting section of the brain uh, becomes injured or diseased. And you see at what may seem like a burst of creativity, mm-hmm. but it's really sort of like the creativity is suddenly unchecked by this inhibition. Yeah. So it's not uh, it's like column A doesn't increase, but column B decreases. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And so it's important to know that if you have, you know, white cells packed in one area, that's mm-hmm. probably pretty great. Like Einstein had a ton of them in the area that um, correlates with mathematics, mm-hmm. but not so much in the frontal lobe. Right. Yeah. So this allowed him to perhaps turn off that part of his brain that might have, you know, made him feel, uh, you know, preoccupied with other thoughts and allowed, you know, this other part of his brain to, to computate at crazy levels. Like to, to, to just throw out like sort of genius stereotypes. Like mm-hmm. if you have like the type of person who forgets to sleep or forgets to bathe because they're like so into figuring something out, like that's a situation where the natural voice that comes in and says, hey, maybe we should put this away and bathe. Or maybe we should put this away and get back to the other aspects of our life that are important. Like that, that voice is diminished. It's the laundry list yeah. voice. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, this was interesting. Some of this came out of a panel that I saw at, uh, in New York at the World Science Festival and oh, yes. it was called The Enigma of Genius. And artist Julie Tamer was on the, the panel along with some of the other folks that we've now, been talking about today. Describe to me who Julie Tamer is. She is responsible for like The Lion King. That's probably something, you know, on Broadway that a lot of people oh, know yes, about. Oh, yes, yes. The, the really awesome like character incredible design. Puppetry, like, all of that. Yes, yes. Um, a lot, she's interpreted a lot of Shakespeare works. Um, okay. Titus yeah. is one. She, it, you know, for film and for for Broadway, but she has a very unique vision, and so okay, yeah, she's yeah. gotten the MacArthur Genius Grant. She's someone who a lot of people feel like have has changed her field. Okay, cool. Yeah, I think uh, some of her Lion King designs were on display at the uh, at Atlanta Center for Puppetry Arts a few years back. Yeah, you know? and she, and she was sort of saying, well, you know, I'm I'm hesitant to to 
you know, call myself a genius or even define genius. But what she was saying is that in her own creative process, she finds that some of her best ideas come from early morning sleep. Um, and it was interesting. I think it was Douglas Fields who was on the panel. Uh, the, the scientists who said, ah, well, that is when the frontal lobes are actually less active. So hmm. again, we're seeing this correlation with frontal lobes disinhibiting and the, the percolating of ideas happening. And we're seeing that Einstein had this, this low white matter in the frontal lobe. So that's why you inevitably have that dream that is either so awesome that you wish could keep going. Yeah. Or is so horrible that you're like, thank goodness I actually woke up from that. Because that's the, the time when the inhibition shuts down and creativity is more likely to just completely slam you with something uh, unbelievable. Yeah, and I, I don't have this confirmed, but I have uh, I've heard before that uh, you you tend to dream a lot more in the early morning hours mm-hmm. anyway. So it makes sense that you know you would remember those dreams, but um, but again, you know, frontal lobes dim down, so you can perhaps have your best ideas then. But we should probably get back to white matter in oh, pineal yes, cells, yes. right? Um, so scientists, See, that's a, you're, you, my my white matter was just causing me to to just go off and forget the timetable here. And uh, yeah, you yeah. were about to compose a haiku. I can tell yeah. <laughs> it was all about like glial cells. Uh, I saw you notating it there. Um, so okay, back to Einstein's brain. It's been hanging out for forty plus years at this point. Holds yeah, he quit traveling in uh, what year? Uh, nineteen fifty-five. He died in nineteen forty. I think is when, or excuse me, forty years later, uh, ninety-five. He had his big road trip. Yep, ninety-six. Yeah, he moved back to New Jersey and okay. he surrenders the remaining pieces of Einstein's brain. He, the pathologist Thomas yeah, Harvey, Harvey, to uh, Doctor Elliot Krauss. Yeah, and this is because his road trip was was uh, not really effective because what he was attempting to do in this road trip is to deliver back the brain to Einstein's granddaughter Evelyn, who was not interested in it. So yes, it returned back to Princeton, um, and uh, Thomas Harvey actually died in two thousand and seven, uh, really not even understanding, you know, that that what he did indirectly <laughs> did have some bearing on how we understand genius today. Well, he, he hung on the brain for that long. I suspect he really clung to the uh, the notion that what he was doing was a good thing. So He absolutely did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, so many scientists at this point, they've tinkered with the tissue from Einstein's brain, and most of them have done it under a microscope, which isn't telling us a whole lot. Um, and historically, neuroanatomists found no clues to, to his, his brain, right? Right. Uh, again, his brain... To the naked eye, look like everybody else's. Because this is the thinking that where white matter, I don't know what it's doing, but gray matter, that's where the neurons that's are. That's where the neurons are. He doesn't have here. any more neurons than anybody else is what, right. they're, what they're looking at. And this is the 1980s, and scientists still believe that, um, you know, at this point when they're tinkering around with it, uh, scientists still believe the important work in the brain is done by neurons, right? These are the powerhouses. These are the brains of the brain, and they're out, they're doing, you know, specific things. Um, and, Marion Diamond, again, she observes a, dispor- a disproportionately high number of brain cells that are not neurons. They're, they're again, what they're called glia, which means glue. Wow. And we will get to that glue right after this quick break. That's right. This presentation is brought to you by Intel, sponsors of Tomorrow. All right, back to the glue. Back, back to, to the, the glue goo. Yeah, so this glue, this glia, is found in regions of Einstein's cerebral cortex, which is involved in complex reasoning, mathematics, and imagery. And so she's seeing that like highly densely packed 
glial cells. And so this shifts the focus from neurons to glia, and it really upends the fundamental understanding of how the brain works. Because heretofore, we thought that the glial cells were basically just the custodians of of the brain. Right. They were clearing away like dead matter, essentially, which is like oversimplification of it. Um, and they didn't seem to have any electrical impulses. And it's not entirely crazy to, to th- the idea to think that uh, the, the brain isn't like a perfect design, because I've heard it, uh, you know, that there might be something there that is kind of useless. Like, because uh, I, I've heard it uh, proposed before that the brain is kind of like an evolutionary ice cream cone. Right. Where um, each level of evolution That's is right. just a new scoop of ice cream. Right, because, neocortex, right. new scoop. Because evolution, not to personify too much, is kind of lazy. Uh, it's going to work with what it's got, it's, and mm-hmm. it's not going to. I'm really personifying like nuts here, but 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 you get the idea. It's uh, the process is not going to go back and and fine tune everything. Um, so it's 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 not ridiculous to think that the white matter wouldn't be doing anything. And at the time that that was flying, yeah. right? And it was okay. The white matter it must be helping out the neurotransmitters, yes. right? And and just keeping things clean. Um, but uh, glial cells do communicate, uh, not through synapses, but through gap junctions. It's found there's protein channels that connect one cell to one another, like a spaceship docking at the mother station. Okay, but it's non-electric communication. Well, they, it's, they still don't know everything about okay. glia yet. Um, so I'm hesitant to, to say that in any certain terms, um, but I will say that, and you know, in the 1990s, you had two, ne- two, uh, or excuse me, new techniques that emerged from the development of lasers and personal computers uh, grafted onto microscopes to better visualize the way that glia behave. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then that's when Douglas Fields and other folks began to describe the glia as the other brain at work, because uh, they were seeing that these brain cells actually were communicating with each other, and they were actually not just communicating with each other, at eavesdropping on uh, neural cells, right? So, uh, glia actually sense electrical activity in the neural circuits and they can control it. And Field says that if glia can do this, then it's not unreasonable to assume that they are one of the reasons for the extraordinary capability of the human brain and that ignoring them until now might uh, help explain why the cellular basis for a genius has remained elusive. So, what we're talking about here is that the glial cells are giving you the sort of supercharged um, ability to communicate with the rest of your brain. Okay. So it's really, it's sort of like the motor of the, or sort of like the engine of the car. Okay, it provides the processor speed for everything yeah. to come together. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So in Field's book, The Other Brain, he says, here are cells that can build the brain of a fetus, direct the connection of its growing axons to wire up the nervous system, repair it after it's injured, release neurotoxic or neuroprotective factors, plug and unplug synapses, give birth to new neurons, Communicate with the vascular and immune systems, insulate the neuronal lines of communication and control the speed of impulse traffic through them. And some people ask, could these cells have anything to do with higher brain function? How could they possibly not? <laughs> that's, that's just how he said it. Okay. Yeah. So it's important to us, though, because what they've discovered is that glial cells are, uh, they continue to form until like greatly mm. to a certain degree until you're age 20. Okay. Okay, these so what does this point to? That you need to use those you need to grow these uh, cells when you have a, a chance when that you're 20. Y- yes, and that, that it's not 20s? it's not just that you are born with a brain and there's your brain. Okay. It means that your brain is developing rapidly still up until you're 20. 
that essentially that every all the experiences, everything that you're doing until age 20 are really going to highly determine the sort of brain that you have for the rest of your life. But and it doesn't even stop there. But we're just saying that the the bulk of the brain is being developed. Wow. So I dare say our under 20 listeners are doing exactly the right thing by listening to this podcast right now. Yeah. 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 And I mean, this that's the other thing. You know, I, I hope that you're playing chess. I hope that that you're a mathlete. Um, you know, I hope that that you're you're messing around with music because yep. these are again all these things, all these paces that you're putting your brain through, all these new experiences, are really helping to shape what what your brain wants to be. Yes, yeah, and, or what you want it to be, really. Yeah, just throw some stuff at it, see what sticks, and be open to new experiences. Exactly. I mean, it's it's all about like I mean, it's kind of like beliefs. Try believing something new every day. You know. Learn about learn about something new every day. Find out about a different system and don't like close your mind off to different uh, uh, visions of uh, you know what reality consists of. That's right, because yeah. I mean you you can actually see it. Um, it you know this this sort of uh, this transformation take place in your brain. Right. You see new pathways being created. How cool is that? Cool. Now what happened now after twenty though? It's not necessarily. Yeah, it's, it's not it's all not doom like and gloom. Because I know the, the over 20 listeners are like, well, great. What am I doing wasting my time? And they like switch off and go straight to, I don't know, whatever you listen to if you don't want to learn anything. Um, I don't, yeah. Yeah, just silence. Just like silence. Yeah. Silence. No, I think it's like Kardashians. Kardashians, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Not to be confused with Kardashians, right? From the start, from Star Trek. No, yes, okay. exactly, yeah. Because I was talking with some people the other day. What if there was a show, Meet the Cardassians? Surely somebody's done a parody of that already. But anyway, for over twenty, uh, <laughs> white matter over twenty. Yes, hope for the future for people with brains that are older than twenty. Yeah, because white matter continues to develop into our forties, uh, like it past forty. So, you know, over the hill, not so much. Um, recent studies showed. Uh, for instance, teaching juggling to healthy adults showed that learning the new skill caused white matter changes. So just, just right. juggling uh, alone in healthy adults can, yeah. can, you know, so continue to exercise your brain, you know, because you can still beef it up. That's right. And, uh, and we've talked about neuroplasticity before, too. And we just keep learning more and more about right. this. And I think this is the important takeaway with this as well, is that we still don't know everything about the brain. We've talked about the Blue Brain Project, trying to map the human brain, trying to figure out you know the seat of consciousness, all these really exciting, cool things that are happening. And uh, just recently, we saw an article about how they're using skin cells to turn into brain cells. Oh, yeah. No, this was this was a pretty awesome idea. Yeah. And in, uh, I mean, basically, what they're trying to do is uh, treat Parkinson's with us. But I mean, the, the idea is that, that you could apply this to other areas in the brain and actually help to repair, uh, as you know, parts of the brain that have been damaged. Yeah. And it, it, it also like really turns the whole question on its head that uh, we've asked before, like what happens, what's it like to have a 300, 400 year old brain? And the, and if we could live yeah. to be nine, like we discussed in 999 birthday candles, if you could live to be 800 years old, mm -hmm. would you have like this Cranky old 800, 800 year old brain in your, uh, you know, your, your nice young body. Juggling? Why would I juggle? Why would I juggle you kids with your juggling? And, you yeah, know, and then yeah. you just sit on a bunch of money and hate everything. But no, yeah. possibly not. Because if you could continue to, um, to liven up the, uh, the, your white matter, mm -hmm. um, you could continue to have this, uh, this changing brain, you could continue to have neuroplasticity, you know, well into your, uh, you know, 800s at least, right? Which makes that proposition a lot better, right? right? Yeah. We, when we talked about the downside about this is that, you know, of course, we've talked about all sort of becoming, you know, 
Charlie Sheen's at some point. Yeah. We were all given to our demons. It's like, um, I will become a horrible person and live forever. No. Yeah, yeah, no. Uh, and he's going to pull through. Okay. But, um, <laughs> I'm glad you believe in him. Uh, but, I mean, the point is, is that, you know, if, if this technology bears some fruit, and even if it's, a, you know, longevity of another 50 years, mm-hmm. it's great to know that the, we have these uh, things that are at our fingertips that are starting to develop and actually help us live healthily mind and Literally body. at our fingertips, because that's where skin Literally cells are, right? skin yeah, cells, yeah. yeah. There you go. Nicely done. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, Einstein's brain. Um which is not currently on the road, but hopefully it'll go on tour again soon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, and zombies. What? What do you, did you ever make a decision on that? Oh, about gray, gray, gray meat uh, versus white meat. Yeah. I don't know. Just don't know. Generally, they don't seem to be that uh, concerned. But I bet they're like I've I've, I've explored the idea. There's some zombies. foodie zombies, and they're going to be particular about it. Yeah. They'll Let sit around and critique the the glia cells. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Well, I have uh, some listener mail here. Um, let's see which one I want to read. Yeah, these look good. Okay. Um, here's one from Timothy. He says, uh, hello, stuff to blow your mind crew. That's us. During your iPod People podcast, you had mentioned briefly how repetitive music can help during writing. This used to be my experience during high school and college when I would pocket my disc man, remember those, and play <laughs> trance music during chores. It would cause me to enter the altered state you described where I would tune out and go in, go into, quote, autopilot. The real life would become a dreamlike background of my thoughts. I found that my most creative thinking would occur at these times, and I often find myself stopping to run off and scribble down my thoughts. Unfortunately, like a really good dream, the written version usually lost something in translation. Incidentally, at my current job as a digital artist, I've been known to have a, f- a similar experience during your your podcast. I'm a science and philosophy nut, so I'd love to hear a podcast about cellular automata, the uh, holographic principle, or the EPR paradox. Thanks. Huh. We will uh, add those to the list. Yeah, we'll check it yeah. out. Uh, well, that's awesome. I love. I, I mean, I especially love the idea that that people can listen to what we're discussing and some of these ideas we're bringing up, and then turn that into something else, uh, you know, creatively. Uh, oh yeah, I always feel like each podcast has you know it, possibilities with uh, fiction. Like you know, you oh, yeah, can yeah. take you know pretty much any of this. And I think there's actually is there a film or a book about Einstein's brain being on the road. Um, I don't know. I don't know that it's All nonfiction, have, but if if anybody hasn't no, read no, no, fictionalized, there, there, they there is a there is the nonfiction version okay. for sure. Um, but uh, for fiction, I don't know. I just keep thinking the idea of it like being put into a robot, like in RoboCop two, where they had the brain <laughs> and the the big machine that battles RoboCop. But huh. but he wouldn't be battling RoboCop naturally. He'd be womanizing and working on relativity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um. Well, cool. Uh. Let's see. Do we have anything else to read here? Yes. Here's another one from Alex. Alex says, I was recently introduced to your podcast by my best friend as well as my sister, who both swore to me that if I had a podcast, it would be like this one. Oh, good. Sweet. I travel a lot for work and haven't seen many of my friends in months and haven't seen my family since Thanksgiving. But in the last month, I have downloaded well over 100 podcasts, podcasts, bleh, podcasts from you as well as your friends at How Stuff Works. Uh, and stuff missed in history, and spent hours listening intently, a couple times actually taking notes. Though none of you uh, ever got to hear me responding to you in my car, hotel, or my tiny coach seat, I get strange looks now more than ever, I feel like we would get along if you could. 
Uh, though the majority of my time is spent alone and away from home, during the last few weeks I've begun to feel like I have friends with me wherever I go. Thank you all for your company and your appreciation uh, for obscure knowledge. Your friend Alex. P.S. You two have the best intro music. Aww. Uh, look at that. There was just great stuff for everybody with an earshot. I know. That, that, yeah. yeah. Jerry, we're Jerry, looking at yeah, you. Jerry did the uh, intro the music. music. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Alex. Cool. So, hey, if you guys have stuff you want to share with us, uh, especially if you have any thoughts, I don't know, do you have a chunk of Einstein's brain in your house in a mayonnaise jar? A, a lot of them were sent out. Maybe you do. Um, but no, any, any thoughts you have about the continued development of your own brain or the brains of those around you, uh, let us know. You can share it with us on Facebook or Twitter. We are Blow the Mind on both of those. And you can also drop us a line at blowthemind at howstuffworks.com. Be sure to check out our new video podcast, Stuff from the Future. Join HowStuffWorks staff as we explore the most promising and perplexing possibilities of tomorrow.